Today's scripture reading is taken from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? ¿Y por qué no has hecho subir Egipto? Para traernos a ser mal lugar. No es lugar de cementera, de jugueras, de vinas de nicaradanas, ni aún de agua para beber. Y se fueron Moses y Aaron de delante de la congregación, a la puerta de Damanuco de Rinón, y se postraron sobre sus rostros, y la gloria de Jehová apreció sobre de ellos, y habló Jehová a Moses diciendo, Toma la vara, y reúne la congregación. Tú y Aaron, tu hermano, hablad a la peña y avisa de ellos, y ella dará su agua, y les sacarás aguas de la peña, y darás de beber a las congregación y a sus bestias. Entonces Moses tomó la vara de delante de Jehová, como él le mandó. Moshe y Aaron, Moshi举手用杖击打磐石两下,就有许多水流出来。会众和他们的牲畜都喝了。耶和华对摩西亚伦说,因为你们不信我,不在以色列人眼前尊我为圣。所以你们必不得领这会众进我所赐给他们的地区。这水名叫米利巴水,是因以色列人向耶和华争闹,耶和华就在他们面前显为神。Well, good morning, Ed City. Uh, it is an honor to be with you guys here in person and also for the folks who are tuning in uh, with us this morning. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here on staff with Ed City Church. Uh, it gives me a great joy that we continue in our series called Heroes Flipping the Script. And it's been a, a, an interesting series thus far because really the big theme here that we're seeing is that we've been looking at the different characters in the Bible who ultimately kind of mess up, but ultimately God is able to direct us to see that Jesus is really the true hero. And that's what we get to see here with Moses as we kind of conclude with him as you've been hearing for the, the past two weeks about Moses' life. And we're going to con conclude that, if anything, today at the last part of Moses at his end journey. Now, with that being said, uh, for those who love watching the Olympics, as you may have known, did not happen this past year. <laughs> uh, if you're a big fan of sports or the Olympics in itself, this was supposed to be the year for the Olympics. But as, to, as you know, 2020 has messed up everyone's plans. 
uh, across the world. So because of this pandemic, the Olympics did not occur or happen. But if you're familiar with the Olympics, there's many sports, there's many events, there's many games, there's so many things that are going on with that big day, especially for the athletes that have been training and prepping themselves for this very day. Now, this training does not something that happens after like a week or two. This is years of training where they're looking for the ultimate prize, that gold prize, to be represent themselves before the whole world, their country, saying that we did it. All that excitement, all that joy leading up to this day. Now, if you're familiar with the Olympics in the past, there's some great games that goes on. One of them is the long-distance runner who is leading the race. And I am not any by any means a runner at all, but, but I do in, like, enjoy and watch the event. But this long, imagine seeing one of those games as a long-distance runner who is leading the race, but then finally he or she gets to the final lap and they stumble and they fall. All of the years of training towards winning the gold are ruined in this final lap. Crazy, right? See, it's been said that the Bible actually paints for us many of heroes who fail and who have started out strong, but have stumbled at the end. Sadly, there are many great men in the Bible who ran well for a while, but later in life they stumbled and they fell. We see this with David. He wrote great books. (laughs) He wrote Psalms, which is loved by so many But yet in his 50s, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he arranged eventually to get her husband killed off. King Solomon, also a great leader, extraordinary in wisdom and leading, in great prosperity for Israel, allowed his many wives to turn his heart to adultery, to idols. King Asa from 2 Chronicles chapter 14 to where the Lord said, you do good and right in the sight of the Lord, of his God. And he made many godly reforms in Israel, but in his 36th year of his reign, rather than relying on the Lord, he stripped the silver and gold from the temple to hire a foreign king to fight against his enemies. When a godly prophet confronted him, rather than repenting, he became angry and put the prophet into prison. See, these men were supposed to keep their eyes on God and seek his glory. Instead, what we see is the complete opposite. Hear me out, church. If we really think, if we really think about it, it is so scary to know that when we are seeking for the glory of God to be shown, how easy it is to turn the focus on us for glory. I'll say that again because it's really important, and we see that in this passage with Moses. If we really think about it, it is so scary to know that when we are seeking for the glory of God to be shown, how easy it is to turn the focus on us for glory. And we see that deeply in Moses as he stumbled and fell right here at the very end where they're about to hit home stretch, the home plate, into the promised land. So this is the question that I want to propose to you this morning that we get to wrestle with in this text, and that's this. Why did Moses lose sight of God's glory? 
Why did Moses lose sight of God's glory? And I think there's three things that we could take away in this passage. One is because he never dealt with his besetting sin. There was the sin that harbored in his heart from the very beginning. And it finally came about and just blew everything up in his face and stumbled. The second thing that we could look at is because Moses felt entitled and I get it. He should be an entitled leader. He did some great things. He was positioned in so many different ways in, 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 from the very beginning to the very end. But yet this itself got to his head and made him fall. And third is because Moses, I believe, had his eyes on the wrong prize. Instead of his eyes directing the people and himself to God and his holiness, I think his prize was simply just to make sure he gets the people to the promised land. But I think there was something bigger that God wanted to reveal. So these are the three things that I want to look at for us this morning. Now, for a long time, I was bothered by the fact that God didn't allow Moses into the promised land. And I sympathize with Moses in, in his one moment of weakness. And I wonder if God judged him too harshly. Reality is, I was also by the fact that I was bothered. <laughs> See, in studying Moses' actions in Numbers 20, more closely, I've come to understand that it would have been unfair for God to overlook Moses' sin in this instance. Why? Because Moses did the same thing that the wandering generation of Israelites have done. He was faithless. And we see this in the, in, in the later part of the text that we just heard this morning, where God said basically, because you, Moses, did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness. Moses, if you look at it, did not trust God. And without faith, one cannot enter the promised land. Whether you're a church planter or minister or whatever role that you play, you may be able to relate or connect really well with this passage, and we'll look at it more deeply and closely. Because this, his core members, his core team, continued to complain and, and, and yell and grumble at Moses and his leadership. And that eventually got to Moses. With that said, let's look at our first point as to why Moses who was known as this faithful, humble servant of God who lost sight of God's glory. Look at me with first, the first point. Moses never dealt with his besetting sin. So look at verses 3 to 5. It said, <clears throat> And the people go with Moses and said, would, would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here? both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come out, out of Egypt to bring to us to this evil place? It is no place for grains or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. What do you think was Moses' besetting sin here? And we'll see even as we progress along in this passage. I think it was anger. Yes, he, he was fully frustrated and tired and fatigued and exhausted for 40 years dealing with people who continued to criticize everything that he did. And this dude just lost it. Moses lost it. 
Even from the start of our series itself, when we looked at Moses, we see the people continuously grumbling. If we look from the verses everywhere on, even to the very tail end of this wandering for 40 years, they continued to complain. See, Moses was basically their shepherd and a leader in leading the people to the mission that God has set out for them. And when we look closely at this problem in this text that Israel's encountered, this same thing even happened way before with the previous generation in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, where the same issue was surfaced up again. There was no water. See, rather than calling the nation to pray for water, the people contended with Moses and basically called out his leadership in how he once again failed them. See, now you need to understand, the grumbling and the complaining was nothing new for Moses. This was something that had, he had to deal with the previous generation. He'll think the issue would have been resolved, but here we go again. See, instead of the people looking to God to provide, the people failed. Instead, they pointed their finger at Moses for screwing this up again. And they're right there at the home stretch. I don't know about you, but I know for me, if this was a bunch of people criticizing me, I have few words that I would like to say. <laughs> and I'm sure anyone else would feel the same way when we get so frustrated, when we get so worked up, they're like, come on. But of course, I can't say those words here. But, <laughs> but instead of Moses going and lashing out the people right away, we see something here. Moses and Aaron do something interesting and turn to God in prayer. We see this in Numbers 20, verse 6, where it says, Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So these servants of God went from the presence of angry criticizing, grumbling people into the glorious presence of God. This humble leader turns the grumbling of the people to humbling himself and interceding for the people. Amazing, right? It sounds great. Moses, our hero, yes! He's about to get water for us. He's about to go to God and, and, and tell him to give us water. No, no. <laughs> Because if we look further into the story, that's not how it ends. At first, I looked at this and I was like, wow, Moses, good move, good job. He will come through for us. But something still didn't add up. Because when God basically tells them this, this is what I want you to do for my people and how I want you to provide. This is what God tells Moses in verses 7 to 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock and for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord and he commanded them. See, unlike the first time where Moses needed to strike the rock with his previous generation to give water, here God tells Moses, I want you to Speak to the rock. As I mentioned, Moses, as we know, has always been this humble, great, wonderful leader and servant of God, would do what is right. But, but in this instance, he does the complete opposite. 
we notice his fatigueness, his frustration finally gets to him. And the way he responds to the people was this. In verse 10, his first words were, listen, you rebels. Listen, you rebels. He lashed out at the people. See, God didn't give Moses the right to judge Israel in this way. In fact, God had told Moses that he was going to show mercy and grace to the people by providing water from the rock. God had his heart set on showing mercy to the people. But Moses had his heart set on the people's sin. Mm. To be honest with you, I actually feel for Moses. (laughs) I actually feel for Moses here. He was frustrated. For 40 years, he had to deal with the people. And he wondered, can his anger be justified in this case? When the people are addressing him and telling him this and that, can it be? If you look closely, you'll see a pattern of Moses. Look at me at verse 1. It says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin, uh, in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Who's Miriam? Moses' sister. Moses was grieving the loss of his sister. When all of this was happening, when the people were yelling, when the people were complaining, when the people were pointing out his flaws, This dude was grieving the loss of his sister. He didn't get the opportunity or the time to grieve properly. Through his tiredness, through his exhaustion, through all the frustration, I wonder if he had greater self-awareness of what was going on in his own heart as all these emotions were bursting out. But I think anger that he wrestled with Moses goes even further back. Not at this moment, not when everything was falling apart, but I think it goes even further back. One scholar argues that Moses had a lifelong anger problem that led him to have this tragic failure at the end of his life. He points out that Moses was angry when he killed the Egyptians' taskmasters who was beating a fellow Israelite. For, 40, year, for, for four, 40 years later, God called Moses to return to Egypt and demand Pharaoh to let Israel go. But even though the Lord had told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart when Pharaoh repeatedly refused to let Israel go, Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, which was unnecessary. Later, when Moses went down from Mount Sinai and saw the people worshiping the golden calf, In anger, he smashed the Ten Commandments. While his anger may have been righteous, as one scholar will argue, that God did not approve of his his destroying of those tablets. See, Moses' unchecked pattern of anger is what now, 40 years later, caused him to strike the rock in anger, resulting in him being excluded from the promised land. See, While some of Moses' anger was righteous, we need to be careful not to justify most of our anger as righteous. Hear me out, church. 
Maybe your besetting sin isn't anger. But whatever keeps you tripping you up, Moses' failure warns you to identify that sin and deal with it now before it causes you to stumble at the end of your life. This passage is actually a warning maybe for you and I that there might be something that has been a seed inside of you that's not good, that's been growing and growing and growing. It just takes that one moment before everything crumbles down. I could really relate to this passage, especially in my time and when I was planting a church over here in Bayside, Queens. And even during that time and that period as gathering the team, the core team together and getting ready for this great launch of having the church ready and our team ready and excited, my mom had lung cancer during that time. She was greatly sick and she was actively dying, if anything. And when she did pass, it wrecked me as a whole. It messed me up. I had all sorts of emotions running through me. And I'm the type of person that likes to be passive and not address it and look at it. And if anything, I allow those emotions fly out and it hurt the team. It hurt the church. And it caused a lot of damage. But as we continue with the story, I'll share a little bit more of that as we move forward. But how easy it is, something even if something as tragic like that happens, how God may be warning us or letting us know there's something inside that you need to deal with or properly allow yourself to heal. And I didn't do that. Instead, I wanted to continue to move forward. See, remember how many times God was ready to destroy the people and Moses stepped in as the mediator, asking for mercy. Moses never defended the people. He defended God's name, right? He never said, you know, Lord, the people aren't as bad as you're making them out to be. Cut them some slack. See, every time Moses went to God on behalf of the people, he said, Oh, Lord, because of your great name, save them. Have mercy on them. Show them grace so that you will get glory. Not because they deserve it. They don't. But because you deserve glory for salvation. But not this time. See, in this scene, God was ready to demonstrate his glory and his holiness in how he showed mercy. And Moses was the one who blanked at God's decision. Moses seemed to resent God's mercy in that moment when he said, listen, you rebels, in this case. Moses sounded more like Satan than the Savior. He was more like the accuser than the mediator. See, faithlessness leads to frustration with God and his ways. God delights in showing mercy and grace to undeserving people. And until you see his glory in this, you are likely to resent it. We'd rather hold on to a silver of our self-righteousness and the idea that if, we're, if we are Christians, it must be because we are smarter or wiser or somehow in some way just a smudge superior to others. See, why did Moses lose sight of God's glory? Because he had this besetting sin inside of him that he never dealt with. And God tried to show him something that knew that was always haunting him from the very beginning to catch Moses' attention. It just makes me wonder that Moses, were you really listening to me? 
when he went to God's presence at that time to intercede for the people? Was he really hearing God? What was going through his motions at that time? I think for at this moment, Moses settled on his sin as a response. And he tried to look to his own strength rather than in the strength of God at that moment. Which ultimately leads me to my second point, which is this, because Moses felt entitled. Look at verses 10 to 11. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with the staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. Look carefully here at what Moses acted after he lashed out on the Israelites, and he called them rebels, right? We saw that. He continues now with his own authority. He said, must we bring this water from the rock? Must we bring this water from the rock? See, God has said that he would bring water out of the rock once Moses spoke to it. (laughs) Instead, Moses and Aaron seemed to be taking credit for the miracle, implying that that the power to bring water from the rock will come from them and Moses' staff, the very staff that he turned the Nile, that God turned the Nile River (laughs) into blood or split the Red Sea. Don't miss the significance of this, of the faithless pride that is so deadly that crept into Moses' heart. See, I think there's something much bigger here that we could see. It's this idea of entitlement. See, Moses up to this point seemed like a great leader, right? He should be entitled to all the positions that he held throughout his whole entire life. I think at this moment it seemed like he got so puffed up that I am the one, (laughs) Who brought you out of Egypt and bring you to this promised land? And but when Moses was thrown a curveball, such as the loss of his sister, and to this next generation now complaining of his leadership, Moses ultimately directed and looked to his own strength rather than the strength of God. And because of that, he disobeyed God at this moment, because Moses was working out of his entitlement. Brian Chappell, a pastor, professor, whatever you want to name it, there's a list that goes behind him. He argues in this passage that Moses assumes the role of the office of Christ when he lashes out on the people and strikes the rock, which we know is as called the, the role of the prophet, priest, and king. Prophet is where God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Instead, Moses calls and judges the people's sin. Or as the priest, where he strikes instead of speaking. And what we see ultimately in this as, is that Moses stands in before the people with authority and power. Or as the king who took God's authority as his own and uses his staff to strike it twice. You can see Moses' failure so clearly where he says, I am the one who nourishes the people now. I am the one who led you up to this point. I am your savior. Ultimately, he says that. God basically says, because of that, you did not treat me as holy. And because of that, you cannot pretend to be my chief shepherd. So for that, Moses, you will be punished. Death will come. 
and the land that I promised many years ago. Now you will not enter it. What happened? <laughs> what happened to Moses? How did this, this, this idea of maybe entitlement creep up into Moses? I think for my own generation, maybe even before and even folks who are younger, I think we are notorious for our attitude for entitlement. We think we deserve more than we do. And when we don't get it, our entitlement sirens go off. And when it does, we often act irrationally in ways that looks foolish from the outside. Because see, entitlement is the belief that we inherently deserve privileges or special treatments or that we have the right to do something. Entitlement shows no partiality. It will reach for life's greatest gifts and claim its smallest pleasures. When it comes to the big parts of life, we can find ourselves thinking along these lines. Here are some examples. I deserve to have children, so why am I struggling with infertility? After all, aren't children a blessing from God? We may say, I'm tired of being single. I've remained pure and sought Christ. So why hasn't he brought a spouse into my life? Or we might say, I'm such a hard worker. I don't understand why I still can't manage to find a high-paying job. Those are big issues, but I think there's also small things that creep up as well. When it comes to entitlement, we might say, I'm a good homemaker and work hard to keep the house clean and tidy. I deserve to have a nicer and bigger home. I work so hard to provide for my family. I deserve to watch TV when I come home. I've been good with my finances. I deserve to buy what I want for a change. Of course, as sinners, the only thing we deserve is God's judgment. So I agree with even what John Piper mentions when he talks about entitlement, that a sense of deservedness or entitlement will keep us from knowing Christ. See, when, you're, when you are successful, pride will show up in boasting. When you are suffering, pride will show up in self-pity. This is what happened with Moses. Faithless pride manifests itself whenever we sunk deep into resentment because we're not getting what we think we deserve. See, entitlement is a subtle thing. It tricks you to think that your calling is your career. Your presence is not needed in certain things. Or the church is there to serve you. And where people become a tool. When I was planting the church in, uh, um, in Bayside, Queens, I would never publicly say this out of my own mouth, from my own lips. But in my own heart, I felt most when I was telling people that they are here to serve me. That's what I felt in my own heart. I never said it from my lips, but in my own heart, that's how I felt with my church plant. With everything else going on, with the people grumbling, with the loss of my mom, that's how I felt. I felt this entitlement where I said, you know what? I helped build this church. I'm the one who helped gather the people together. I'm the one who put the groups together. I'm the one who provided the discipleship and the program and everything that's needed together from the worship team and onwards. So you are here to serve me. I use them as tools. I'm guilty of that. 
But through that sin of this entitlement, which is so subtle, <laughs> it creeps up. It only destroyed more and more of our church and the people that I was hurting around me. But there is hope. See, if entitlement is so dangerous and often so subtle, how can we fight it? I think there's three things to give us that spirit of rest. It's one, diagnose your heart. Remember your God and imitate your Savior. When you diagnose your heart when it comes to entitlement, ask these questions. In what areas of my life am I discontent? Why am I feeling so disappointed right now? What do I think I need in order to live an abundant life? How am I comparing my life to someone else's life? Once you do that, remember God's goodness and his love and his scripture and community. And finally, imitate Christ. Was the only one who's ever been truly entitled. He didn't deserve to bear our sins on the cross, yet he chose to give up his own desires, his own comforts, his own pleasures for our internal good. And Paul beautifully reminds us that Christ laid down his entitlements so that we may share in his glory. Or where Christ said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As Christians, we should not only trust God when we don't get what we want, we should also follow the examples of our Savior and choose to give up what we think we deserve. The reward might not be immediately, but will become more like Christ, and that is always worth it. Why did Moses lose sight of God's glory? He felt this love of entitlement that crept in always, that led to his fall. Moses became a master and took the role of God. <laughs> the very God he trusted to provide and care for his people, Moses now struck God in the face and saying, no. Moses took on the authority. Moses said he is sovereign, that he is the one who will provide and lead the people. Moses failed miserably. And if we are not careful, we can fall into this very same issue as well. What can be a blessing or a position that we, can, we could take the credit on ourselves than on God? Which would lead to me to my final point, point three, that Moses confessed of his sin and his failures. Look at point three. Moses had his eyes set on the wrong price. Verses 12 to 13. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters where the people of Israel go with, Moses, with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. See, unbelief was the root sin that led to not treating God as holy. If you look closely, the people despaired of getting into the land and directed their frustrations against Moses and Aaron. They were looking to Moses and not to God as the one who had not yet brought them into the land. On the other hand, Moses and Aaron despaired of getting into the land and directed their frustrations against the grumbling people. Moses and Aaron were looking at the grumbling people rather than to the Lord and his promises to bring them into the land. The point is this. 
When we look at people rather than the Lord, we're sure to grow frustrated because people will always fall short in some way. Even a gifted leader like Moses had a lot of critics. And if leaders look at the people, they will get frustrated with their grumbling and many shortcomings. Church, look to the Lord. When you hear the chaos around you, don't go to your sin. Don't go to your position. None of that. Go to the Lord. See, Moses, though he was a hero who would bring, which everyone thought would bring the people to the promised land, which was never really the true price that God was really trying to show them. Moses and the people had their eyes set on the promised land as the ultimate prize, not on God and his holiness. Everything here pointed to show of God's glory and his provision and our need for him. Moses had to learn the hard way by not entering the promised land. But we see Moses ultimately does confess of his failure, of his sin, as writing out this book for the whole world to read. See, as a result of Moses and Aaron not believing in God to treat him as holy, he imposed a penalty, penalty that they would not bring the people into the land. This must have been a huge emotional blow <laughs> from Moses <clears throat> after all these years of 40 years of enduring hardship and pain and struggle and not be able to set into the promised land. This is why I believe Moses will be always known as the wandering shepherd. Took care of the people. That's it. <laughs> he never pointed the people to the good shepherd. God had to intervene and say, let me point you to the good shepherd that is to come. In the writings of Paul's, basically, he, Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, where he said that the Israelites drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Just as the Israelites received the blessings of water by the beating of the rock through Moses' rebellion, so we received the blessing of salvation because Christ was beaten, bruised, and killed by our rebellion on the cross. Question is this church, and also for Ed City, where is our eyes fixed on? Is it on the glory of God and His holiness that we are directing and pointing our people towards, or is it something outside? And this leads me to that final illustration is this. Up to this point with the church plant that I was working with and helping out with and leading efforts with, it finally came to a crash. Where my marriage, we just blew, it just blew up. <laughs> it took a hard hit, a painful hit, where I felt the bruise, where I felt the pain, where I felt the shame, to a point where I needed to take a step back and step away from my leadership role as the lead pastor of that church plant. And I needed a season of healing and grace and love that I needed to hear from God and others to come around. Though as painful as it was to see this, this church that I helped build and I thought will see to the promised land, God had to take me back. But we still see, even in this passage, God's grace in all of this. Even though Moses was sinful and the people were undeserving, God still gave them water. And he still allowed Moses the chance to look out over the promised land before he died. Dang, that's great. <laughs> See God's mercy in that. Even in judgment, God shows mercy. 
even through my failures and my shortcoming, even with the church plan that I helped previously plant, God raised up a great leader, helped replant that church, and that story continues now, and they're doing good out in Queens. All glory goes to God, because it's always about Him. In the end, everything we see up to this point is Christ and God's glory. This story sets the stage for the greater promised land, which only a good shepherd can lead his people to in God's grace. And we see that. So as I come to a close and as I conclude, church, as I close, why does Moses lose sight of God's glory? And how easy it is for us to fall into that very same trap. Because the reality is that it is so scary to know that when we are seeking for the glory of God to be shown, how easy it is to turn the focus on us for glory. Moses fell into this trap. So I leave you with this, this last point. A scholar pointed out that Moses represents the law, which can only condemn us, not save us. One violation of God's holy law is enough to render us guilty of breaking the whole thing. One violation was enough to keep Moses out of the promised land. As Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. See, to enter the land, we need the new Joshua now. Jesus, the Savior, who fulfilled the law perfectly. So as Paul stated, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. May we trust in Jesus and look and point and direct our people to his glory and may he get the glory in all that we do. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have used your servant Moses, God, to reveal much in our own hearts, our failures, our shortcomings, our bruises, our pains, our sins, Lord, that may be growing from very young age to now. Lord, we need a break. We, we, we need you to come through for us. Forgive us of our sins. Humble us. Even, Lord, if it's going to be painful, Lord, that you have to remove us for certain things, may you do so, Lord, as a tool of your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy that you still showed to us. In the same way that you provided for your people, you still gave them water. As much as we have turned our back against you, Lord, you still showed up for us, and you stood beside us and took that beating on our behalf. Jesus, when you come now, would you breathe upon us as we prepare our hearts now, even for communion. We thank you, Lord. Amen.